You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, where you're going to hear a valuable hunting-based conversation that's tailored for us Southern folk. If you love what we do and would like to support Southern Ground Hunting, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes below. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. You can also support us by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and we greatly appreciate it. And now, let's get to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm joined by a northern brethren, um, Jake. Jake, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name. Can you tell us how to pronounce your last name? Oh, it's actually Fleischman. Um, okay. Kind of like the vodka, but it's spelled a little different. It's one and not two. So it's yeah. the most Wisconsin last name I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. Uh, big, as, time, big time German last name. Okay. So as soon as you, uh, as soon as you sent me an Instagram message today, I was like, there's no way this guy's from the South. A hundred percent not from the South, uh, just by your last <laughs> name. So Jake, dude, welcome to the show. Super glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Um, I listen to your podcast weekly. As soon as it drops, I'm listening. So it's a pleasure to be on. Fantastic, dude. Well, we appreciate that. And um, here's the deal. Guys listening, we are trying to do a better job of sharing just super relatable hunting stories. Uh, we talk a lot about tactics through the through the season um, and, you know, kind of that before and after season type stuff we talk about that a lot and in the summertime it's tough to do uh but there's a lot of guys out there just like you jake that have great hunting stories and this one doesn't take place particularly in the south um but all you had to do was tell me that like first i'm, I'm not going to give it away but that first sentence that you led with uh kind of the scenario of this story um and the timeline and things. And I was, my ears perked up and the state that you did it in. I, I, um, have gotten the opportunity to hunt this particular state up North and, uh, I love it. I think it's a great state, uh, especially for deer. Um, and so my ears perked up. I was like, yeah, dude, let's get you on. And, uh, so Jake, just kick us off, dude. Like, um, tell us a little bit about, what the the things that led up to choosing the location of this hunt without giving away too many details um choosing the location scouting things like that well so this was kind of like a trip that me and a buddy wanted to go on for a couple of years um and i'm a huge follower of like some youtube guys like diy sportsman 
in the hunting public, those guys um, around that time frame were out in North Dakota quite a bit. And it just, from their videos and the stuff that it seems like they were doing and learning, um, just really interested me. So me and a buddy decided that we wanted to go to North Dakota for an opener. Uh, this was, I believe, 2020 season. And uh, we just, we're from Wisconsin, so it's a lot of wooded. It's pretty flat, so it's like North Dakota, but there's so much more timber in Wisconsin. And I just, uh, just the fact that you can glass so much more and see so much more, uh, it, looked, it just seemed like a different kind of hunting and something that we wanted to do. And we both kind of wanted to try to fill a velvet tag. I feel like that's on every deer hunter's bucket list, I guess. So um, it was kind of two birds, one stone um, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, once we decided where we were going and that we wanted to do an opener, uh, we decided this like a year ahead of time. So we got all our vacation from work uh, set aside for that opening week. We were going to go down a day before season and do some glassing and some walking around, boots on the ground. Um, and it was just totally outside of what we've ever done before. So we were just really excited to go out there. And then you kind of uh, mentioned like the preparation we did. Um, I guess we didn't do any scouting trips out there at all. Um, I wish we would have, but it was just more the map scouting. Um, picking some spots on a map that we wanted to check out that day before. And kind of our plan was to go there and just kind of see where everybody else was hunting and kind of just try to hunt some spots that opening day where we didn't see a lot of pressure, I guess. So that was kind of our plan going in. We were kind of open-minded. We we're just going to go in there and get in there and start hunting and see what happens. So, so okay, so public land is what we – is. you kind of already said that. This is a public land trip. Yeah. Um, did you have, like, did you have any prior intel about any of the areas? Cause, cause North Dakota is not a, a public land rich state really, uh, when it comes to whitetail hunting. And so, um, like, did you have some prior knowledge of an area from somebody else? Uh, kind of what was your thought process in choosing all that? Well, I guess I did DM some people um, just that have hunted there to try to kind of get that had a success there and see what they kind of said. But um, as far as looking on a map, um, we were just kind of looking for it. We knew it was dry out there that year, too. And from the people I talked to said that the key is just got to be by water um, yeah. in some form or fashion because it's especially when it's dry out there early season. And that's kind of what we did. We kind of just looked found some spots that weren't, I mean, without giving too much away in the spots, more the Eastern side of the, the state, um, where there's a little bit more tree cover, um, and diversity there. So that's kind of what we are looking for, some diversity and some water, and then kind of found a spot where we could camp and be in driving distance, easy to scout and go back and forth to some different spots. Um, and that's kind of all we were really looking for at first. That's, I mean, that, and that's a, that's a great tactic. I think looking at, uh, North Dakota, especially for that super early opener. Um, I believe it's Tony Peterson. He's had some success there. Uh, and he talks a lot about hunting over water and finding water. You know, uh, he talks about hunting water holes specifically, but I mean, you've got to find the water for that time of year. And I've, I've noticed that the same way whenever, um, whenever we were there two years ago for the opener. 
Um, it was so yep. freaking dry. And like, it looks, it's like, it's like, um, it almost felt as if you were, wa- like, I'm from West Texas. Everything's really dry in West Texas. Uh, and, and it was like that. Like, it was just dusty all the time. Just dirt blowing all over the place. Uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at a map of, of North Dakota and say, oh, it looks like there's more green on this side of the state and more brown on this side of the state, you know. So I don't think you give away a whole lot there. But, um, dude, that's, that's, I mean, at its very basic, uh, like, that's a good thing for if somebody's looking to hunt one of these early openers finding the water is a great a great idea all right so so getting closer to the trip um you know figured out where you wanted to be you figured out the the area that you wanted to to be in uh i think did was there any like did was there any moments where you got to the place that you were gonna hunt and you moved to a different spot or any of that type of like wrenches that got thrown in your plans yeah so when we got out there, we drove through the night after work one night because we were both, we both, me and my buddy worked in a factory. So was, as soon as we were done working first shift that day, we hopped in the truck and we went all night. I think it was like 11 hours or something like that. And it was crazy. Like when we pulled into North Dakota and we were like an hour away from where we wanted to be and it was cracking daylight in the morning and it was, we looked and we're like, where are we even going? Are we in the right spot? Like there was no trees. It's like, we're just driving into nothing. It was crazy. It was like what? overwhelming at first, how flat and nothingness there is. What's he say um, on, that uh, part of on Dumb and Dumber? He's like, I imagine the Rockies would be more rocky than this. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a it was the, yeah. Yeah. It was different. exactly like that. Yeah. I think we might have quoted that exact thing when we were driving. <laughs> yeah. And, and those are the things like I, I know you mentioned earlier that you wish you wish you would have gone and scouted early. So, um, like, cause you do find yourself in those situations. I can't tell you how many times I've been on an out of state trip with something in my head, like I'm thinking it was going to look a certain way. Um, and basing all my plans around that only to get there. And it's like, Oh crap. You know, this is a water hole or this is a swamp. And I, and I think that happens more times than not. You can look at so many maps and go to so many different places, be, you know, and be doing it for 30 years and it's, you're always going to learn something. It's always seems to be different than on a map in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I I think Onyx map scouting, kind of the development of that has, um, has given us a lot of benefits for sure. Absolutely. It's given us a bunch of benefits, but what I find are the people who, um, the people who are pretty consistent, uh, in any state, uh, they know how to, um, do, they, they kind of, they don't just base everything on what they see on that map. Does that make sense? Like they're looking more yeah. closely at things like terrain can be a little more true, uh, in your online mapping. So like if, if, if you're looking at topography, um, sometimes it'll fool you, but that can give you a little better idea than if you're just basing a clump of woods and saying, that's probably open hardwoods. Cause I, for example, we turkey hunted in Tennessee this week, this past weekend, um, for the last weekend of the season. And 
we saw a place on the map that looked like it was going to be big, giant hardwoods, like like perfect for a turkey. What we ended up finding when we got there was that pretty much everywhere on this flipping place was covered in mountain laurel, mountain laurel, and thick, nasty junk, briars. I mean, not and yep. none of us ever heard a gobble, right? So we get there, and then we had to change all of our plans last minute um, because we were basing everything on what we thought we knew. But we right. didn't, obviously we did not know. Um, and like I said, I wish we would have scouted, but the more and more I think about it and how it played out, looking back on it, I honestly think that I wouldn't change it because I feel like the places we did get out and walk and put on miles that first day before, every place that we found the buck sign, it seemed like there was a stand hung here or there's trucks parked. Like people can see that too. So um, if we would have went out there like in the spring and scouted, not saying that we wouldn't have found some good spots, just putting on the miles, but the spots we found sign, we also did find the people too. So going in there fresh, not knowing anything, I think honestly, at least for me, helped me be successful, I guess. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to argue like, and say you should have done things differently when, I mean, we're telling, we're telling a success story, right? (laughs) So like right. it worked out, you know, it's hard to say you should do something different. Um, all right. So let's get into the, get into the weeds on this thing. So you go out there, things are maybe a little bit different than what you expected. Now, uh, um, did y'all get there and it was opening day? Is that kind of how it worked? It was the day before actually. So day before. Okay. we got there on a Thursday. I think that year it was a Friday. It opens in North Dakota. It opens at noon, I do believe on opening day. So then it was that morning, too, of opening day. We were driving around also trying to – because we at that point in the morning, we still had no idea where we were going to go. So it was kind of just like, well, we're close to here. It looks pretty good. We're just going to dive in here at noon. So Were you all looking more at the – like I know in in North Dakota, especially on the eastern side of the state, you can have uh, some – you can have some like – like glassing style hunts, not a whole lot of big giant trees, or you can have some areas that uh, is heavily, heavily wooded. Were y'all looking more in the the more open country? Is that kind of where y'all were trying to concentrate at? Honestly, we kind of gravitated towards, obviously we wanted to stay by water. We kind of hung in some areas where we knew there was like a river and there's a lot of cottonwood, them, them thicker areas there. And we honestly just wanted to find a lot of people told us too. you want to find the beans. That's what they really like out there because there wasn't much corn at all that year. It seemed like we hardly found any driving around for two days. And then there was some beans, but not really any places that we really wanted to hunt. They were just wide, you know, bigger fields in the middle of nowhere with some beans. But um, we kind of focused on if we could find some green fields. That was like the one rare thing we did find was like there was a couple alfalfa fields or like just hay fields that were green. And we thought like we kind of hung in that area to start. So we figured, you know, green next to water, there's got to be at least deer in there. And we did glass a couple smaller bucks um, that morning kind of next to the water, next to those green fields. So that's where we kind of started or gravitated back towards. So you started putting together that first morning putting together maybe some consistencies uh and 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 that's i i completely understand what you're saying um having been there 
when you go to a new place like that, like, uh, okay, look for beans. All right. But that bean field looks like it's, there's no reason for a deer to be in there. Um, I learned a lot about cattail marshes out there. Um, and how, how often the deer are actually living in those things. Um, and you never Mm -hmm. know it. You know, a, a guy from Alabama goes up to North Dakota and sees a big cattail marsh. It look, it doesn't, look like deer habitat to us um but then right in the evening you see these giant bucks stand up out of the cattails and walk into the into the beans that they've been sitting there all freaking day um and so there is there are a lot of differences uh differences in that but you were trying to find these uh these green fields or alfalfa fields or things like that um were you finding you know that that there were a, a lot of deer around them or were y'all finding that maybe it was a little bit more difficult just to find heavy numbers of deer than you originally thought? Do you want to know more about saddle hunting? Well, you can go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you know me, you know that I love to have a system for all of my hunting equipment where everything works together, and we preach about it a lot on this podcast. When you buy from Tethered, you can rest easy knowing that all your gear is designed to work together as a system. Saddles, platforms, ropes, climbing sticks, and a ton of other great gear just for saddle hunting can be found by visiting tetherednation.com today. That's tetherednation.com. Check them out. Whether you're looking for a new knife for the field or the perfect everyday carry, you've got to check out Join or Die Knives from Richmond, Virginia. Join or Die is a small shop and a custom knife maker dedicated to creating handmade knives that are cut above the rest. They make custom handmade knives to fit any need from the field, the kitchen, or just an everyday carry. And they come in several different steel and finish options. They've also got a ton of options for the handle as well. Plus, if you don't see something you like, you can always order a completely custom knife forged to your exact specs. I highly recommend you check them out. Get yours at joinordieknives.com and use the code SGHUNT to save 10%. That's all uppercase, all one word, S-G-H-U-N-T. Yeah, I mean, from the vehicle, we didn't really see much for deer. We've seen a couple there, kind of in the general area where we ended up hunting that first night. Um, we did see some deer, like, in those bigger bean fields, um, but... Out there, it seemed like one other thing that I noticed right off the bat was um, those deer, it's wide open. They have rifle seasons out there, and they get shot at from vehicles sometimes, yeah. I would assume. Um, so, they, I mean, they make it a couple feet off the tree line, and then that's as far as they get out in those fields. So they yeah. pop out here and there, and they go back. They don't move very far out in the middle of nowhere. And it seemed like when they did, and they were crossing a field, they were running, like, they didn't stand out in the open for very long. So we just wanted to find some thick cover. Um, I noticed, but, I noticed you haven't said anything about any pressure. What were y'all yeah. dealing? Was that a big, huge factor in what you were dealing with or not really? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was probably the biggest factor other than wanting to focus next to this, um, that those green fields in the water. I think the next thing was we wanted to go to a place that we didn't really see any, pressure i guess um but 
we just drove around until we found a spot we wanted to dive into that there wasn't anybody already there, but we got in pretty early. Um, we got in there right at noon. We wanted to get in there um, before anybody else. And um, maybe our truck being parked there would deter somebody from walking in. Um, if it was a smaller piece, which this one kind of was. So um, it was kind of, I guess, getting into that first night too, I guess, if you want me to kind of dive into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll start with, we, we kind of drove around in a spot and then um, I kind of gave my buddy since he was driving around all day, like first dibs where he wanted to go. And then I would just kind of see where I could go from there, either just walk in a different way or take the truck around to the other side. Um, so we found a spot he wanted to get into, kind of walked in from the backside where we seen those bucks. Um, it was like a, it wasn't really a green field, but it was kind of just like a hay grassy kind of rolling hills um, right off of the, the, like the four wheeler trail. It wasn't really a high traffic road. And then you could probably see maybe four or 500 yards and then the tree line. And there was quite a bit of a buffer um, of thicker cover between the back of those like grassy uh, hills and that river. And he just kind of dove in there. Um, he was going to work his way in there, see if he could find some fresh sign to set up on. Okay. Um, uh, so then when I... Time out real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, that was, you said set up on, were you guys planning to ground hunt, saddle hunt? You know, I mean, you can really do both pretty effectively in in north dakota it can be a great state for spot and stock what was y'all's what was y'all's setup uh going into this thing well yeah i guess we were we were hanging hunting i just recently started saddle hunting in the last couple years so at that point we were using hang-ons and sticks uh hanging hunt um but yeah i i mean that first night we were just wanting to get in an area and see if we could see something and then move in on it it wasn't like a yeah, I'm going to find where this deer's laying at and I can sneak up on him and kill him in his bed. Like it was just more of a observation type thing. Yeah. That first night our plan was. So that was our goal going in that first night, I guess it just gets eyes on something moving. <laughs> and it gets better. Yeah. So at that point he gets got out of the truck. I take over. I drive around to the other side, kind of where we seen those bucks. And I had no idea where I was going to go at this point. So I was like, I'm just going to go in an area where when it gets dark, I, he doesn't have to wait two hours for me to drive back and get him. So I just wanted to stay kind of close to where he was at. So I looked on the map and I'm like, well, the other side of the river from where he's at, there's a green field and the wind sets up perfect because it's blowing away from the river where I think those deer are probably laying in that, in that thicker cover next to the river. And it kind of, the road wrapped around and it went way up top. And it kind of dropped off down to the river and you could see that whole, it was like a old growth alfalfa. Like yep. they, you could tell they planted it like five or six years ago. And it was just like a hay field at this point. They would just, there was hay bales on it and everything, but there was little patches of green alfalfa in there. And I was like, once I drove around and kind of seen it, I'm like, this is kind of just a, you know, go in there and see what I see. But it did. I, in the back of my head, I said, huh? it's green they might come out here tonight so um like right off the parking lot in that spot it like you walk in and it kind of drops down to river level there and there was kind of a feel open field there and you couldn't see it from the road which i thought also those deer might be a little more comfortable with those hay bales out there and not being able to see it from the road they could come out of that cover and feed a little bit and go right back and wouldn't even be seen there so it was kind of a little overlooked spot 
and the only reason I really walked in there was so I was kind of generally close to where my buddy went in. It was yeah. kind of just like a see what happens. Didn't really expect to see anything. And uh That's how it works. I noticed though. on the map. That's how yeah, it works every time. Your buddy got to choose where he wanted to go. He got to he got first dibs on it and you're just like, Hey, you know, it might be a shot in the dark. Let's just go out here yep. half heartedly and uh and probably not see anything. That's how it almost always works. Yep. So I guess I'll keep going here. Absolutely. Um so I walked in, stand on the back, have everything, and I didn't do as much preseason prep either as like we all do. You know, you shake the raw stuff that first hanging hunt. And it's just like, yeah, this is just, I was sweating. It was hot. It was, the bugs were awful. Every tree that I wanted to get up in was covered in vines. It was just <laughs> a nightmare. You just, you just described every reason people should not hunt early season. Um, exactly. Mosquitoes, poison ivy. I, I, I think in North Dakota, I don't think the ticks were too terribly bad by that no. point in the, in the yeah. year, but. My gosh, dude, it, you, you're, you're talking about a real struggle. Early season hunting is brutal. And I would say like, if you're not the kind of person that practices, practices their setup pretty decently before season, you're not going to like early season. (laughs) You know what I mean? Early, (laughs) early September openers. It sounds like you learned that day. Like crap, should have, should have figured this one out. After that, every the last years, the two years since, I've practiced a lot before season because, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want that to happen again. So, yeah, no, sir. So, so you All get right. in there, you you, you yep. look for a tree, and everything's like viney and terrible, relatable, right yep. there. Yep. So it was kind of like a little ninety degree. Like there's just the strips of trees on the fence lines. And they go, it went, this corner of the fence line kind of went out um, into this green field with the hay bales. And there was like a couple trees and like some brushier stuff that kind of jutted out into the field like halfway. And I figured if I could get in there somewhere up and the wind was blowing straight back towards the the corner of that field um, away from the river where I thought those deer were going to come from. So I just wanted to get up in that strip of trees so I could kind of see, I could shoot to my right, shoot to my left into that field and just have the widest area where I could shoot, I guess, and mm-hmm. see something. I want to just get up there and observe, really. Um, the wind was good for it. So I didn't think anybody, anything was going to be like behind me because there really wasn't much for them to be in. Um, but anyways, after like two hours, I get up in my tree and get everything situated. And it starts to rain. So I was like, perfect. This is just, this night's just getting better and better. So I sat that out. All my stuff got a little wet. And it was probably two hours before dark at this point. And I just happened to look behind me where I didn't think there was going to be any anything come moving around. And this little six-pointer came right from the river, kind of like I thought. And he just booked it across the field behind me, out in the middle of nowhere. Just took off. I don't know where he was going. I was like, well, that's a good sign. A yeah. buck. Um, but it wasn't where I thought it was going to be. And I don't know if he caught my wind or not, but he was moving the whole time. So I don't think he did. So I wasn't really worried about it. So I just kept sitting there. 
And then I looked to my left all the way across the field and I seen two more deer. So I threw my binos up and it was a, like a two and a half year old eight and like a smaller 10. And they were like sparring on the corner of the field, which was pretty sweet. In velvet um, or, and I'm or like, shed? Um, those, I think the six pointer that ran across the field first was in velvet yet. The two that were sparring were just out of velvet. Um, so they were hard horned. Yeah. Um, and I went out there for a velvet deer, but Hey, if something walked in front of me, that was hard horned. I'm not going to pass that up. So I wasn't, I was pretty, pretty pumped. Cause I seen three more deer than I thought I was going to see already. I saw it two hours before yeah. dark and I was like, I mean, it's getting, it's looking up. So, yeah, I watched them spar for a while, and then it was kind of weird. Uh, the wind kind of died down, and then they were kind of a little bit more on edge. Yeah. Um, it seemed like when it was windy, you know, they didn't. They were kind of out in the field. They could see anything around, and they were they were pretty content with what they were doing. But the wind died down, and they kind kind of got a little fishy, and then they started. They ran right at me. So I get my bow ready. And these things are booking it across this field, like right at me and about 70 yards away, they took a 90 and then went down into the river. I don't know if they were just, they were just running around and having a grand old time. It looked like <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason really what they were. They were excited they were about kinda, opening day. Yep. So they go down into the river and, uh, I was like, well, I've seen three bucks. Didn't really expect to see nothing. So. Um, I was pretty excited, honestly. And then there was a couple does came out, started feeding. Um, and at this point I was actually confident that there was going to be something coming in bow range. And at that point I see all these deer and I'm like, well, do I hold out for something a little nicer or the first thing that walks past me, am I going to shoot? At this point, there's a bunch of deer piling out into this field. And I'm like, there's probably a pretty good chance that something with horns walks within range or at least within 40 yards where I'm comfortable shooting. Okay. So had you had, do you hunt public land in Wisconsin? Um, or was this just kind of a new thing? I know you said it was your first out of state trip. Um, how, what was your like experience with public land hunting at this point? Um, I actually did hunt out of state prior, but it was more, it wasn't, that was my first time in North Dakota. Okay, gotcha. So I hunted public in like I, I when I was younger. I went with my dad on a couple of trips to Nebraska or Missouri or a couple other spots. Um, I got more you. wooded area, your typical Midwest rut hunt. That was my first early season velvet hunt. Yeah. So, so, so as far as like, as far as like, um, you know, when I'm hearing this. I don't know. Whenever, I, whenever I go on a anywhere on public land, the last thing that I want to do is hunt in a greenfield, right? And and it's not because I think yep. a greenfield is a bad place. It's because as a southerner, you get these ideas that there's no deer on the greenfields because that's where everybody hunts is on those greenfields. Mm-hmm. But I like this story particularly because what you've been able to do is take advantage of it being open in day, you know. Later on in the season, even a week later in the season, a greenfield might be the worst place you can hunt. 
but opening day you're able to see deer act like deer in the green food yep. you know and and kind of take advantage of it um just and, little... not to, and not to jump go ahead not to jump too far ahead either, but like you said with that the pressure in that spot that was a big factor why those deer were daylighting in that that early at least in that field because without jumping too far ahead in the story um in the next i stayed after i was you know the next couple of days when my buddy was looking for other places to hunt he tried to hunt that spot like three days later and there had been guys in there every day um huh. and he didn't really see much after that night so the pressure did play a big factor in that like Absolutely. you said so so you got all these deer out there they're coming towards you you're like what well, flip do i do do i hold out do i uh what like what was your and expectation was- going in like were, when you when you went to North Dakota, was it, I'm going to shoot the first legal deer or was it, I'm going to hold out? My biggest thing was I wanted to try to get a velvet deer and something with a rack, like not a spike, but yeah. something like even a eight, just something with velvet and six or eight points. Like that was my only, that was what I was going to try for, but yeah, I mean, I had no expectations at all. Okay. All um, right. So tons of deer coming um, towards so that, you in the field. You're trying to figure out what your standard's going to be. What happens next? Yep. And, and it was tough, too, because there were so many does and fawns piling out, too, that it's like I can't move. So it's it's just I didn't even know what to do. I was, like, overwhelmed by the amount of deer that I saw. Like, I was <laughs> just amazed, honestly. Because um, I've hunted private land in a couple of different places, and deer don't come out that early like that. It was, it was kind of almost like shock. So I had a lot of things running through my head at that point. And then deciding what size of deer I would pull back on at that point. Um, so then at that point, I don't know what it was. It started raining again, like an hour before dark. And then it seemed like when it started raining, those deer, they didn't like it for whatever reason. And then they kind of worked their way back off uh, into the woods and I'm guessing laid down, but then the, the rain stopped again. It was probably 45 minutes at that point until last light or last shooting light. And then I see a really nice buck actually stand up, um, in the cover, right? He was maybe 10 yards off the field in some tall grass underneath like a willow tree. And he stood up and walked out straight to my left. Perfect or sitting down and shooting like right perfectly in the lane that I had, but he was probably like 80 yards out and he was just feeding there. So then I pull my binoculars up and look at him and he's really nice. He was hard horned, but like a really thick 10 or 11 point. And then I was getting at that point, I was getting a little nervous cause I was like, he's there just tempting me at 80 yards, just feeding. And I was just hoping he'd work my way a little more, but he just almost gave me too, ta- too much time to think about it. I think you probably know all that is. Yeah, absolutely. And you just think about it too much, but (laughs) yeah. So he fed a little bit and then for whatever reason, the deer were acting really weird. And then he fed a little bit he picked his head up and kind of looked around and then he like just sprinted back off into the woods. I don't know what he saw or what he, if he smelled something, um, but he didn't like something. So he took off and then I was like, dang, all those deer left. He left. I might not see anything else the rest of the night. So 
Then I sat there for about 15 minutes longer. At this point, it's probably 25 minutes to last light. It was getting a little darker at that point. And then there's some does started um, coming back out in the field. And those two bucks that I seen earlier that were sparring, or what I, at least I think were the same two deer, um, were chasing each other around. They came back out, and they started working towards me. And then at that point, I was trying to make a decision which one of those, if they came close enough, um, if I'd hold out for one of them or if one came in front of me, if I'd shoot one or the other. Um, and I was brought up in Wisconsin to not pass up an opportunity. If you're going to shoot that on the last day, you're going to shoot it. So I made up my mind pretty much right then that if either of those deer came, gave me a really good shot, like within 30 yards, that I'd probably shoot one of those two deer. And they weren't really getting much closer. And then it was like getting pretty late, maybe 10 minutes before last light. And they started chasing each other around again. So then I just stood up, kind of got ready to pull back in case they ran out in front of me. Maybe I could stop one of them. And that's kind of what happened. That smaller eight-pointer or a basket rack eight, the bigger out of the two bucks, um, kind of trotted out like 35 yards quartering away from me. And... Um, I didn't even need to stop him. I was I drew back before he even got to that point, and I was ready. It was like 35 yards quartering away. Um, shot. Didn't know if I hit him or not. So I wasn't <laughs> using a lighted knock or anything like that, and it was pretty dark. Um, but, yeah, I let an arrow fly at him. He took off into the woods back towards the truck. Um, and I called my buddy, and... I snuck out of there, got to the truck, called my buddy and went to pick him up. And then we were going to go back and look for the deer. Now, was this your, uh, I, I thought I heard you say this is your first public land buck. Was that right? Yes. Okay. Well, first public land bull buck out of state. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got, I mean, that's a big, that's a, that's a, that's a feat. Yeah. I, I believe, you know, when, your first bow buck is a big deal. Your first public land deer, you know, that's a big deal. Um, but then you go out of state and you do it on, on your own with a bow on public. It's just, that is a cool feeling. Cause it's not your, you're, you're, you're on visitors team. You, you know what I'm saying? Like you're a visitor at that point. You're not, it ain't home. It's not your home field. And so, you know, that's, that is a amazing feeling. Um, what was going through your mind? that you just made it happen on opening day in a brand new place. Like, were you feeling pretty confident? What, what was going through your head? Honestly, I'm one of those people that until the deer is laying in front of me and I have my hands on them, I'm always doubting something. Yeah. So I was kind of nervous because I couldn't see the impact. It wasn't really light enough, but I was at least very confident that we could get on deer at that point because until then it was like, we didn't see anything, anything for deer. And I wasn't expecting to see anything. I was texting my buddy while we were in the tree. He wasn't seeing anything. So we were kind of down in the dumps until I let an arrow loose. And I was like, well, at least there's deer in this area and a lot of good ones by the looks of it. And there was probably more that I didn't see. So I was at least confident that even if I missed that deer, that my buddy could get on one or I could get on one again. So I was super excited at the same time, I was a little doubtful on the shot, um, which I shouldn't have been. And, uh, yeah, I was just confident we were kind of starting to figure, not figure things out. Because that was kind of a 
not a lucky thing, but a surprising situation. So it's at a least good first I day. confidence that we, yeah. That's Great a heck of day. a first day. Um, all right. So didn't know if you hit it or not. Um, were you like, is there a percentage that you could say where you like 75% sure it was a good shot or like 5% sure it was a good shot? I was, I was pretty confident I hit the deer just based on the sound and the way he took off, tucked the tail and took off low to the ground. Like everything looked good after the shot as far as the deer's reaction to it. Um, and I guess as far as I had no idea, it was probably 50, 50. Like I'm like, I held good. The release was good. It felt good, but without seeing it, I was still 50, 50 on the, like where I hit the deer. But as far as the way the deer took off, that made me feel a little bit better. And knowing I just hit the deer. So. Joel, did you say you waited, you waited how long before going and trying to track it? Um, well, I waited until it was like dark, dark, like probably 20 minutes after light. I let my buddy know, um, or asked him if he was, let me know when he got out to the road so I could pick him up. Um, so I snuck out of there. I made a big loop around where that deer went and looped around the other side of the field and took the long way around to my truck. And actually the story gets quite a bit better as I walk up to the top of the hill. And it's like, you could bear You could see outlines of things. Like it wasn't like pitch dark because yeah. out there, it seems like when it's so wide open, you can just, with the light of the moon, you can just see a little better. Yeah. But I get up to the top of the hill and there's probably like 145 inch 10, like right next to the standing right next to the truck. It's <laughs> looking at me. And I was like, I could just tell by the frame that this was a really big deer. Like, I don't want to put a number on or anything, but I, I've seen enough deer and frames of deer to know it is a really, really nice deer wherever you hunt. So that was kind of cool. Like I didn't care that, I mean, it is what it is. I just, I'm not, this deer was four times bigger than the one I shot, but I could care less. That was just cool to see a deer like that. Yeah. Um, but he, that deer, the bigger one had to been bedded right next to the truck, which was crazy. Like there was hardly any trees there or anything right next to the parking lot. And that thing was, had to been right there. And he stood up and was just feeding out right in front of the truck. Didn't care at all. That's crazy, man. And, and and it's crazy when you go out there anywhere, really, in that kind of like uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, Kansas. You know, you see these big wide open spaces with not very much cover, seemingly. And you're like, how could a deer even live here? And then mm-hmm. right there around evening time or first thing in the morning – it's like they just uh, what's the what's the game whack a mole, where they just like pop yep. up out of nowhere, <laughs> just appear pop out of nowhere. Ground, yeah, yeah. It's, crazy. it's crazy how well they can hide and how well a big giant buck with uh, 140, 150 inches of antler can hide that antler so well. It's right. crazy. Yep. Yeah, they know where they know where they got to be to not be seen. That's for sure. They don't get that's like right. that, especially in a state like that. Though being having a little bit of brains. There's got to be a little part of you, though, that was like, well, crap. I mean, was are you telling me there was no part of you that, that was like, oh, man. Absolutely. At that point, I was hoping I missed the deer and knew it for <laughs> sure because he stood there long enough. I could have knocked an arrow and probably shot him right next to the truck and been laying within 50 yards of the truck, which <laughs> yeah. would have been crazy. 
Yeah. I was, I was pumped either way. Jake, um, funny story. I shot a Jake, and it was an accidental Jake this year uh, here in Alabama. Yeah. And I was kind of like, you know, when I when I went up to him, I grabbed him. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, it was actually my last turkey of the year for Alabama. Uh, it was my tag out bird, and I was like, eh, that kind of that kind of sucks. So I was, but I was I was fine. So I'm walking out of the woods, yeah. and I'm walking down the road, and literally in the middle of the road, stood there for like a solid five seconds, long enough for me to shoot. Is a gobbler, a long beard, just standing there. And I was doing fine. I was like, you know what? I'm just happy to be alive until that gobbler walked out in front of me and stood there long enough for me to shoot. That never happens, right? Like, how many times no. has that ever happened? No. Um, and so I know the pain. I, I think that's a similar, you're content, you're good, you're happy, you're excited. But then that happens, you're like, shut up. I wish I could have, I wish I could have just never seen that deer, never seen that gobbler. Yep. It's, it's, I've had that happen more times than I'd like to admit <laughs> that same situation. So. It's all good, dude. All right. So, so you're getting out of there. Um, you've been kind of teasing it and acting like, you know, it, you, you had nothing to worry about. Yeah. So actually when I got to the truck, somebody, there's a truck coming down the road and this was not a very highly traveled road. So I was like, probably either somebody hunting or I didn't exactly know but they started stopping as I got to the truck I was putting my stuff away in the truck already told my buddy that I was on the way gonna pick him up um I didn't tell my buddy at this point that I even shot at anything so I was kind of leaving him in the dark kind of gonna surprise him a little bit but um because he didn't have that great of a hunt so I figured it was better that way (laughs) um but it was actually the game warden pulled up uh, as I'm in the getting myself in the truck. And if you've ever dealt with any of those game wardens out there, that was probably the coolest game warden I've ever talked to. Um, he was super about like getting people out there, um, enjoying hunting out on public land. Like he was telling me some areas to focus on, like, yeah, there's some, you know, some good deer over here or focus on this or this. He was super helpful. And then when I told him I shot at a deer, he was like wanting to help me drag it out. Like, that's it cool. was, it was, it was a cool experience talking to him, um, for a little bit. But he actually waited there, and I went and got my buddy. Told him that, um, I flung one, uh, at something. I didn't tell him even what it was. I just said it was a decent one. Um, I like to play those kind of games. Um, it's <laughs> one of those, you know, you're that with buddy. your best buddy. Yeah. So he was kind of in the dark. I just said it at eight points. I didn't tell him how big. Whatever. I pick him up. So then he was pretty jacked up for me um, without even knowing just that I shot at one opening night. And we get back there. He gets to meet the warden. We talked we talk to him a little bit. And he actually followed us down there. He's like, I want to see this thing. He was like way more confident that I got the deer than I was, <laughs> which was cool. He was a super cool dude. If I knew his name, I'd say it, but I don't really remember what it was. No, I don't need to say it because um, then nobody else needs to know. Nobody else needs to know. Like people be looking up game warden names in North Dakota, right? For this place where you shot, yep. where you saw 80, 87 deer on opening day, <laughs> right? I think out there though, they the wardens have multi-jurisdictional. Maybe so. They they cover big areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So 
yeah, we go down there. We kind of, we go down to where my stand was because we wanted to find the air. I had found the arrow. I guess I forgot to mention before I left and, uh, there wasn't great blood on it, which is another reason I wasn't too confident. Like there was blood, but it wasn't like bubble. You couldn't tell if there was bubbles on it or it wasn't super dark red. It was just like light blood, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a full pass, which was a good sign, I guess. So it's kind of still 50, 50 on it. So we went down, uh, got back to where I stuck the arrow on the ground there where we had first blood and we started, you know, I was kind of looking at the ground, trying to find where he went in the general direction. And then we walked probably like 10 yards, um, in the game where and taps me on the shoulder and he goes, what's that? And I look up and not like 30 yards into the field, the deer was laying, you could see half of a rack. And <laughs> instantly I was like, yeah, that deer, like he only went like 40 yards, but there was enough of like a little elevation change in the field where when he ran that way, like you, he, he probably died within 20 seconds of shooting him, but I couldn't, I had no idea. And I, and the funny thing is, is I walked within 25 yards of that deer when I walked out that night, <laughs> went back That's to the awful. truck, like he was dead right away. Such a good feeling. But, man. Yeah. That's such a good feeling yep. when you know, you put a great shot on a deer like that. Like, Oh man. I cannot wait to experience that again. Like that's the yep. reason I love these stories, man, because when I hear them, I relate it back to, to similar experiences that I've had. You know, I think if you've been bow hunting long enough, people have had those perfect shots that they thought were bad shots. And then they find the deer 30 yards away, you know, like, you're like, I have nothing to worry about. I love those, those moments. Like they're so special. Um, and now you're tagged out on opening day, bro. Like, what are you going to do now? You know, Just go do tourist stuff or what? I mean, at that point, I was instantly, I turned to my buddy and I said, before I even put my hands on the deer, I said, now it's my time to help you get one. Like, it was, my mind was on to helping him fill his tag, like, immediately. I didn't even give myself really time to enjoy the moment. Um, I guess we did later. Well, once we got it drug out and taken care of, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely a confidence builder that we actually maybe knew what we were doing or, or <laughs> yeah. were more in the game than we thought we were. So it was, it was great. That's so cool, dude. That's awesome. And, uh, congrats, man. Congrats on a great bug opening day. <laughs> I love those, love those moments when you feel like, it happens to ever to all of us where you're like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I shouldn't even be in the woods. And then you get just a little bit of, a little bit of luck and it all, it's all worth it. And that's, that's what it's all about, man. So congratulations on a, on an awesome buck. Now, um, since that point, have you done any more out of state, uh, out of state deer hunts? I actually drew, this wasn't last year. It was two years ago now, I believe. I drew Kansas um, and hunted all walking in public out there for a week. Um, that was a really good experience, too. And that was the reason I wanted to go there was based off that North Dakota hunt, just that open Western country. Yeah. I think everybody from the Midwest goes out there once is addicted one way or another. So, yeah, um, 
that's something I'd like to do at least every couple of years, just to just being able to experience that. Um, I didn't, I didn't film my tag. Um, I ate very expensive tag soup, but <laughs> it was a really fun experience. We've seen some really nice bucks out there. Um, Gour- and I was, it's gourmet, gourmet tag soup. Gourmet. Yep. <laughs> it's not uh, spaghettios. It was top of the more line. High class. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but yeah, didn't, didn't fill a tag there, but was the very last day. Uh, I was full drawn a really, really big buck, um, which left me with kind of with a sour taste in my mouth, wanting to stay longer, but I had to work the next day. So it's one of those, mm. one of those tough things, but. Well, man, Jake, congrats again. Thanks for coming on the show, man, and sharing the story. If, if, if I'm telling you, it fired me up. It got me in deer mode. So uh, it's worth it. <laughs> At least that, you know, and uh, so guys listening to this, uh, I hope it. I hope it did what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to get you fired up. Hear a good hunting story that gets me fired up every single time. Again, Jake, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was a blast. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook or Instagram, or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And you can be sure to check us out at southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch read some blog articles and all that good stuff. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week.